Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 132, Top 10 Board Game Dice Mechanics. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we're here after Gen Con. It's been a week. We've survived, some of us better than others. You may notice that I have a little bit of a problem with my voice, but I'm pushing ahead. Gen Con clearly tried to kill me, but yet I am still here kicking. <laughs> you did it. Yay. You made it. <laughs> who knew board gaming was such a dangerous, dangerous hobby? Yeah, I'm the one who usually comes home with the con cred. Oh, Sorry, God, man. man. That's not we, good. We shared the car the whole way back and everything. I don't know how you... Jeez. Well, it was yeah. a lot of driving. I drove, yeah, you know. that's true. That's true. <laughs> People were asking me, like, how long a drive was it? I was like, well, total? I don't know, probably... 13, 14 hours, you know, six hours Fun. there, seven hours there, you know, <laughs> it's a thing. So probably a total of, geez, what, 28 hours plus a little bit driving around, maybe 30 hours total. Yeah, that's not fun. No, no, no. no. Your, your body rebelled. It was like, <laughs> nope, done. Yeah. And you think you sit a lot when you play board games. And then when you have to yeah, drive right? <laughs> to play board games, the amount of driving and playing that, you know, your sitting time kind of adds up. And I think we were saying our Apple Watches were not thanking us for the amount of sitting time that we were doing the entire time, which seemed a little uncalled for because we were doing a lot of hardcore sitting. Yeah, right. It's like, oh, you should stand up now. It's like, no, <laughs> come on. It's like, there's still another four hours in the car. I can't stand up. <laughs> I'll stretch my legs out. Is that enough? That's no, right. stand up. Uh the Apple Watch is trying to keep us from killing ourselves. Nonetheless, we are here with you for another episode, episode 132. And we are talking about the top 10 board games that have really interesting, innovative dice mechanics involved with them. So it's not the typical kind of card play or worker placement, but the main part of the game, the heart of these board games is their dice mechanics and how uniquely they're used. Yeah, yeah. So don't... This is not the top 10 dice games. We're not really dice game people, although there are plenty of dice games we like. This sure. is games we like that have dice. So it's think true. of it that way. Yeah. And they play a center part of this game. So if it's just a general roll and move, that's not what we're looking at here. We're talking about things that, you know, dice are really using innovative ways here. So we're going to be talking about that for our future review. But before we get on to all of that talk, Anthony, what are our listeners talking about? What is our question of the day or... As we better put it for the episode, what's our question of the week? Question of the week. Because it was Gen Con last week, I asked people what game they were looking forward to playing that was announced or released at Gen Con. So I kind of threw a really broad net for people to, to fill. Sure. So because I did that, almost everybody mentioned a Fantasy Flight game. So <laughs> there you go. Willie, Willie says Twilight Imperium 4. Never played any of the other, other versions. Didn't seem like an acceptable jumping in point. Now that he has a jumping in point... Time to jump, which is exactly what I did, as people have been mocking me for. <laughs> you bought that? 
Yeah, I bought that. No, I think um, that's great. I've been trying to play TI3 for, I think, the last five or six years. So, yeah, I think this is a great place to jump in. If the game's even slightly more streamlined, I think that's a phenomenal step. The only thing I missed out on is I wish this was a different IP, considering that Fantasy Flight owns, like, literally every IP these days. No kidding. Yeah. yeah. Any Anything, really. You could have... Ah, we can go down that road if we sure. want. But TI4, yeah. The, no, Samuel mentions TI4. Also mentioned Legion. Uh, that's the new Star Wars game. A couple other mentions of that on Twitter as well. Kurt mentions he'd really like to try Legion, uh, if nothing else, because it's he's a big fan of X-Wing, so more Star Wars. Jerry mentioned Photosynthesis. Has played it. Very simple mechanics around the individual player boards, but the game that plays out on the shared board is great. And having seen it played a couple times now, it does look very interesting. Yes. Matt mentions Nations, the dice game Unrest, which I think like 10 people got because Stronghold had like a single case of this or something like that. I like the um, last second, too. Yeah, it was like Friday or Saturday it showed up. So I don't actually know how many they have, but I know by the time we walked by their booth, it was already gone. So a few people out there have it. Let us know what you think. This this is a game I like. It's just hard to find. Guillerme mentions Dragonfire. This is one I did bring home, so I'm looking forward to giving it a go. And then Chris mentioned Hunes. This is a Kickstarter coming out later this year. And I'm pretty sure this is the one we stopped by that gave us a bag full of candy. So, Oh, yeah. Candy guy. Love candy guy. Yeah. So we're, we like Hunes too, because we like bags full of candy. So, Duh. <laughs> uh, yeah. So lots of good stuff. I mean, we talked about this stuff last week. Obviously, we didn't really mention the stuff that isn't releasing yet. Sure. Um, although Chris did talk, you did talk a little bit about Civilization, the new one. Yeah, and I'm going to talk about another one today. So sure. lots of good stuff that was announced. It was a very impressive Gen Con. Unfortunately, Gen Con, I think in some respects, tends to be more impressive with their upcoming games than their actual games for sale. But mm-hmm. what we like to do is let you know what games at least are available to purchase right away. And then we have a little time to talk about the acquisitions disorders later. Or right now so anthony let's get on to our acquisition disorders what do you have for us this week all right so speaking of fantasy flight star wars and new games we have star wars legion so didn't mention this at all last week and i'm sure some people are like what because <laughs> anthony mentions every star wars game that comes out because yep. he buys them all and never plays them you're legally <laughs> bound to do that right just i am yeah like no this was we knew this was coming Sometime in the next year or two, even before they announced it. So I've had it slotted in forever. This is the Star Wars miniature game that everybody's been talking about that Fantasy Flight should make forever now. It is a big box full of Rebels and Imperials, and you've got Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker. I think it also comes with a handful of barricades. None of the amazing-looking 3D structures that were on the tables at the demos. So if you've seen a demo video, that's not what this is going to look like out of the box. It's going to be unassembled unpainted miniatures with barricades wow that's it because it's a miniature game it is not a board game and i'm gonna say that as many times as i can on here because i (laughs) i just i feel bad in advance for anybody who comes into this thinking more star wars board game and they've never played a you know war miniature game before and they're gonna be very disappointed i feel like a million geeks cried out all at once and then were silenced anthony (laughs) <laughs> i know like this this stuff's catnip for me because i like building miniatures and i like painting miniatures so even if i don't get to play the game very often or at all i'm gonna buy it and i'm probably still going to enjoy it 
Uh, but there's a lot of people out there who might pick this up and just not be able to get it to the table. So do make sure you do some research on it first. This is it's along the same lines as like a Rune Wars or the Song of Fire and Ice miniature game that was just announced or a War Machine or any of those. It's a big investment. There's power creep as they grow out the armies. There's a lot of stuff. There's going to be tons of expansions. It's think X-Wing level investment if you want to get into this game. Um, and you have to paint it. So now I'm not, I'm not trying to downplay it because I think it's amazing, but it is it's one of those games. No, I think that's extremely important to say, and we might even have to do a podcast on this at some point. But especially with Asmo Day kind of acquiring other companies and wanting to produce different types of games to kind of reach out to different markets or reach out to established markets like heavy miniature games and bring them into a more kind of acceptable, palatable kind of general population, it seems like, hey, this is just another Asmodee Fantasy Flight game. I played their other stuff before. Clearly, I can play this one. I can just open the box and just get it to the table. But if you've ever seen miniature games before, they're tremendously complicated, amazing spectacles, and they're lifestyle games. So I know that this game's going to be somewhat dumbed down. I don't mean that necessarily in a bad way, but it's going to be made easier to play by more of a general audience. But I had the same reaction Anthony did as far as the Star Wars IP and seeing the miniatures out there. But I want the completed, painted, assembled with all the buildings ready to go because I just don't have that kind of time nor interest in painting and building. So, you know, when eventually they come out with the Hoth expansion, I'm going to be in a lot of pain. But something's going to keep me back because I'll just never get to the table. Yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm fairly certain it'll be a while before I can realistically get this to the table myself sure. but you know my kids are getting older and yeah. i'm sure there'll be a organized play around here somewhere and th- it does sound interesting from mechanically speaking like the it's designed to be more aggressive there's let they've made it so turtling is not something you really want to do they have mechanic where when two heroes meet in the middle other people can't engage with that so you can have these one-on-one duels you have all the troops that'll kind of move with the leaders so you don't have to move everything individually so it s- speeds up the game a little bit an hour or two instead of three or four like Warhammer. Sure. So everything they've done really does sound cool in terms of streamlining and making it more accessible. But at the end of the day, you're still going to open a box full of unassembled plastic. And for a lot of people, that'll be a tough one. Two games that I want to talk about really quickly, and I'm going to talk about two, and I'm actually going to kind of carry these over into my at the table is because they're all from the designer, John DeClaire. Now, you know, his games from Mystic Veil. Now these are the card crafting sleeving games that we've talked about previously. For my acquisition disorders this week, I want to talk about, I I guess was his original creation that AEG put on the back burner because they felt it would be a little heavy for gamers. So they want to kind of introduce Edge of Darkness, this acquisition disorder here, with a more easy kind of entry-level game with Mystic Veil. Now, we saw this promoted pretty strongly and demoed at Gen Con, and this is, as I said, Edge of Darkness. Now, what you're doing here is, if you played Mystic Veil, it's a card crafting system, and I'm going to talk about Mystic Veil more, but basically, you have this giant sleeve, and you are putting other clear transparencies in it to make the card more powerful, and as you play those cards, you get additional benefits. Now, this original, more heavy version of it is actually a... 
I would guess, more traditional board game because it actually does come with a board. So you still have the same card crafting where there's these inserts that are a third, a third, and a third. And depending on how you place those in, you'll gain special abilities on those cards when they're played. The difference here is when you're sleeving the cards to get more special abilities, you're putting bad stuff on the other side that is going to make the kind of villainous game stronger. So there's a good side and there's a bad side to the card. So there might be some management as, as far as that goes. Now, what's also interesting and different about this game in comparison to Mystic Vale is that this is a group deck building game where everyone shares one deck. That's a little different. There is also a card-driven worker placement. So instead of the typical pain for these cards, you're going to use your workers to be able to kind of craft these cards, get them into your hand. And then finally, uh, there's going to be a threat tower. So kind of like a cube tower where these colored cubes are going to go into the kind of like randomizer and they're going to spill out onto these cards. And basically, whoever has the most colored cubes is who that bad guy decides to attack if it's these black cubes and they attack everybody and at that point hopefully you're ready for those attacks and you've built up your hand appropriately to kind of manage that area and the darkness that comes from that and all the bad guys that comes from that area this game has a module set up there's 20 different locations plus and you know it, it, it kind of involves mystic veil at a greater level it's something I'm looking forward to. I've enjoyed Mystic Veil, and this is something that I'm looking forward to getting to the table. Yeah, man, I I did not love Mystic Veil, and it wasn't because of the card crafting. It was because of just the base game is kind of vanilla as yes. a deck builder for me. Uh, th this, this particular game, the original one with the cube tower and all the other stuff going on, which they talked about last year at Origins, that's the one I've had my eye on. So I'm very interested to see this. I guess it's going up on Kickstarter when it does, to see what all is going to be included in here. Because even like the pre-production copies they had at Gen Con look pretty good. Yeah, we saw prototypes. I mean, some of it was final artwork, but I'm not sure if the cube tower is necessarily final. But I, I think that this is going to have enough of pull that people will kind of jump into this game. Now, quickly, another acquisition disorder I'm looking forward to is Mystic Veil Mana Storm. Now, this should be coming out late in 2017. And this is just another expansion for Mystic Veil by John DeClaire. And basically what we're looking at here, I guess the main part of it at least, is we're looking at new leader cards. Now, I'm gonna go into leader cards more when I talk about one of their other expansions at, at the table, but we're looking at more leader cards, more crafting options, and more special abilities. And in this case, amulets feature unique effects and offer greater variety over regular mana tokens. So. I guess along the lines of Dominion as far as having a number of ways to play the game. So Mystic Veil Manstorm is an expansion I'm looking forward to checking out when it comes out. Yeah, AEG is definitely becoming one of those companies to follow where if you want a game that's going to be supported for a long time, they will do it. Yes. Yes, this this seems like they're trying to find out find their niche. Obviously, they found one of them with Smash Up, and this seems to be the second one coming up. All right, so that's our acquisition disorders for this week. Now on to our at the table. So Anthony, what has been hitting your table after Gen Con? All right, so real quick before I dive into the new game I've been playing, I just wanted to throw a minor correction out for, uh, I guess this was a game Chris reviewed last week, but my feedback in particular apparently was based on incorrect rules. So that was Scott Pilgrim's Precious Little Card Game. 
So I spoke to the designer a little bit, and I mentioned how at the end of the game I just sat there for multiple turns and didn't do anything. There are multiple things you can do that we were not taught um, in that demo that we had, the initial one before we played it, where you can remove cards and cycle through them and do all these other things. So going to play that again, get a better sense of it. That really just covers my feedback. I think I did want to throw that out there because thoroughly not impressed with the game, how it was taught. And I, I do want to give it another shot. Yeah, we had someone from Renegades walk us through pretty much every step of the game. So I'm surprised that we missed out on something there. But, you know, copy to the table. We'll sure check that out. And then secondarily, new game. Uh, this is The Climbers. This was released by Capstone. It is not brand new. Uh, they're bringing out a game that's been out of print forever. I think the first edition was 2008. This was a game by Holger Lanz. Uh, and I don't know who the original publisher is, but I know it now it's Capstone under their Simply Complex line. And it is exactly as that name says. It is simple and yet complex. And if, you, if the game weighs, I don't know, maybe... 15 pounds, 10, 15 pounds. It is this relatively small box packed solid with wood blocks, 35 solid wood blocks. And the concept of the game, it sounds so simple that it's hard to imagine how it can be complex until you've actually played it a couple times. So what you do is you have these two big white pillars and then you take the other 33 blocks out of the box and you stack them up around until you can't see those pillars anymore. And each block has each of the different player colors on one side of it. And there are three different size blocks. There's a big tall one, there's a square one, and then there's a flat one. And you just need to cover those up and that's the start of the game. And then what you do is you take turns, you move your climber as far as you can up these blocks and you can move a block or rotate a block on your turn. There's also ladders, two different size ladders that help you reach higher levels um, if you can't do it easily. You can only move the half step up there's like the little half step block up at a time uh without a ladder and anything other than that you need a ladder the other big trick is you can only be on a block face of your color or the neutral color which is the grayish white so what you're doing is you're constantly like moving and rotating and trying to set yourself up so you can climb higher up this tower you're also taking pieces from the bottom and putting them higher up on the stack so you can try to go further up the game doesn't end until nobody can move for an entire round. So it takes a little while to get to that point where everybody's kind of stuck. And you want to be the highest one when that happens. So you kind of need to manipulate this. You need to be thinking multiple levels deep. You need to be looking at the blocks and seeing what sides are there, which ones aren't. What's underneath this particular block, if I can move it, and maybe that's a, you know, a face that I can actually climb to. It is a bit of a brain burner. Like you wouldn't expect it looking at it. It just looks like an abstract game where you're climbing these blocks. And the, way, the cover of the game, too, the new edition, makes it look like this big, colorful thing, almost like a kid's game. It is not a kid's game. This is very much a heavy-duty... This is like an abstract for heavy gamers. It's not a heavy game by nature. I could probably play this with my six-year-old, but I could also play this with my heavy gamer friends, and we could stare at it for 45 minutes and try to find the best moves, like a good Euro. So it's a strange game because it manages to do all those things and the name that capstone put on this line simply complex works really well it is relatively expensive it's 50 bucks for this box of blocks and you you can tell what you're getting for that money it is you know it's a lot of money to spend on what's probably kind of a filler abstracty game but it fits a very specific hole i think in a lot of heavy euro gamers 
collections where, especially for me, like I don't like a lot of fillers. I don't like party games. I don't like social deduction, you know, those palate cleansers that a lot of people have between the heavy games. I'm not a fan of this game. I am a fan of, and I'm very happy to have it because now I don't have to play those other games. I can bring this one and we can play this instead between, you know, Felds or whatever we're playing. So for me, it's a buy. If as a heavy Euro gamer, this is a buy. I don't know that I would necessarily recommend it to people who are more, you know, middling or don't have a space for big heavy games in their collection. Definitely play it first, but it's very, very good. And I've I've enjoyed it quite a bit. Have been able to play it a couple times already, um, along with a couple, you know, quick run throughs at various cons in the past. And I definitely think this will be in my game bag for, you know, the foreseeable future. Hmm, this could be a heavy game bag. It is. I know that's the problem. <laughs> I was like, okay, what do I put in here? What's what's physically light, sure. but intellectually heavy to, go, to right. offset this game? <laughs> yeah, I remember this game being around the table years ago and people talking about it and then just slowly kind of evaporated from, you know, gaming. So it, I'm really glad to see this hitting back at the table. Yeah, the copies, the old copies, the out of print ones, we're going for like, 150 200 Crazy. 300 dollars yeah. and it's just a box of blocks but they need to be those sizes uh so it's really cool that this new version is out and if you can find a discounted copy online or whatever you know i'm sure it'll be a little bit cheaper than 50 um that was the con price uh but yeah it's definitely worth it all right so i want to talk about a couple of games that got to my table i mentioned this earlier that i'm talking about designer john d claire's games and especially his card crafting system from AEG. The first expansion I want to talk about is Mystic Veil, Veil of Magic. Now, this is the first expansion for, surprise, surprise, Mystic Veil. Now, what you get with this expansion is 54 new advancement cards and 18 new Veil cards to the, the Mystic Veil base game. Now, basically, when we talk about a lot of board games, we typically use our rating system as far as is the game a buy? Is the game a play? Is it a dodge or is it a burn? Because we really want to help you as far as what you should be looking at as far as games are concerned and hopefully to manage your you know, your wallet a little bit here. Now, what I want to do here, since I'm going to be talking pretty quickly about a couple expansions, what I want to talk about here for the expansions is, is it essential? Is it more of the same? Or is it an outright skip? Now, for Mystic Veil, Veil of Magic, what we're looking at here is in some cases, more of the same. Now, in particular, it's going to add some new mechanics to the game as far as two new abilities. So what you're going to find is two new abilities, the discard ability and when bought ability. Now, the discard ability triggers during your discard phase. Now, typically, nothing happens during your discard phase other than your discarding your cards. So it's nice to see this little bump here. The when bought is also a nice little addition here because what this is going to give you is something new as far as when you purchase that that advancement or you purchase that veil card something happens that kind of adds to your turn so these are two nice little additions to the other already kind of established abilities in the base game so this is more of the same as far as adding something a little more it's not essential to the game but it's not necessarily a skip so if you've loved mystic veil up to this point and you want to add more to mystic veil this is pretty good, especially since it kind of focuses on the Veil cards, which typically in the main game were kind of like, eh, maybe I want to go that way, but I really have to build up a lot of those Veil symbols. 
or maybe I just want to kind of build up some powerful cards. So more of the same as far as Mystic Veil, Veil of Magic, not bad, but if you want to add more, then it's there for you. Now, another expansion that came out this year is Mystic Veil, Veil of the Wild. Now, what this is, is actually, I guess for the most important part here, is you're going to get leaders. Now, at the start of the game, you're going to have a number of cards in your hand. Some are going to have some advancement in them, and some are just going to be blank. Well, with these leaders, you're going to give, be given two leaders. You're going to pick one, and then you're going to sleeve it into one of your empty cards. Now, this is great because it's going to give you a little boost early in the game because the leaders are going to give you kind of a kind of a bonus as far as playing them throughout the game because not only do they give you whatever their kind of special power is on that card and their little kind of bonus whether it's growth or whether it's mana but it's also going to have an opportunity to upgrade your leader at some point now that's obviously expensive but it's really nice because i felt like one of the things that was missing with the mystic veil game was a little more of the focus theming. It was a nice game, it was a light game, but it just needed a little bit more. So with this expansion and the leaders, adds a little asymmetrical gameplay right from the start, which is excellent. Now, it's also gonna add an Eclipse ability. Now, in the game, typically, you cannot cover over something else in the, in the, in the card sleeve. So if you have an advancement there, you can't put another advancement over it. Eclipse kind of changes that. You're going to get some new Veil cards. You're going to get some new advancements. But basically, this is an essential part of Mystic Veil for me. I, I rate this as an essential because Mystic Veil needed something more. And while the Veil of Magic added more of the same, Veil of the Wild is essential for this game. Now, I will say that these games and expansions are expensive. You're getting a lot of clear sleeves. You're getting a lot of clear advancements. You're getting a lot of big, beautiful artwork as far as the Veil cards are concerned. But it is expensive. So I'd recommend playing Mystic Veil, then checking out the Veil of the Wild directly. Because if you like the base game, but you felt like it needs something more, jump right there. And then if you want to just kind of build this more of a kind of like a lifestyle game and kind of own it all then Veil of Magic is a good addition. Finally, I want to talk about the newest kind of like card crafting system that John D. Clare came out with, and that's called Custom Heroes. Now, AEG told us that this was their best-selling game of a convention ever, which was amazing because they have a lot of amazing games. Now, with Custom Heroes, instead of the typical card crafting system that's used to kind of build up a like kind of like a little bit of mechanical little machine that you're building up to kind of generate victory points in custom heroes you're using that same card crafting mechanic for a trick-taking game so at the start of the game you're giving some random cards and they're going to have a numerical value on those and then that numerical value is what you're going to play you want to empty your hand as quickly as possible to win that round Pretty simple, right? So you can play any number or you can play any, you know, pair or a set of numbers. And then the next person has to match those numbers. So if I play two twos and you play two twos, great. You played those cards from your hand. That's excellent. You could also play two threes. You could play three threes. You have to play something either equal to or higher. Now, if you matched up with me, then you can skip the next person, which is great because now they're not able to empty their hand. And that's really what you want to do in this game. Now, 
in addition to that kind of really basic mechanic, there is also going to be an opportunity to sleeve, just like Mystic Veil, these kind of enhancements that are going to, to your card that's going to not just change the initial number, but it's also going to give you the opportunity for special abilities. Now, just like Mystic Veil, there's only going to be so many slots in this card. So I think you have up to four slots, and when you sleeve a new kind of clear advancement in there, it's going to give your hero something kind of wacky. It could be a, a head of lettuce, or it could be a cool sword. But typically, the I guess the graphic representation in the card is going to equal the numerical change that's going to do. So that modifier, if it's a negative, is usually going to be something a little silly. If it's something positive, maybe that person's like powering up. And basically, all of that's doing is changing the eventual number there so that when you play a set, you can kind of change your one to a four because you added a plus three in there. So now you're able to easily get rid of your cards. Once you play that round, all of the cards get shuffled together and they get redealt. So you're not going to keep your hand or your winning cards. Basically, that's going to go out to everyone and they're going to have an opportunity to kind of, you know, alter it yet again. So you're going to play this until you, you reach 10 victory points. And then you have to be the winner of that round in which you had 10 victory points. Now, there are some special advancements that are going to kind of change the game up a little bit as far as special abilities are concerned. But generally, you're going for victory points. You're going for that win of that last round. If you don't get that, there's some special conditions that go kind of like a heads-up battle. The game is good. Uh, it's a very, very light game. It's actually lighter than Mystic Veil. I'm actually kind of surprised that this didn't come out first. And the anime artwork is nice, but it's pretty generic. It really doesn't speak to any particular genre or IP. So don't look for something like, oh, I remember this from that. That's not what you're looking at here. But generally, a good light game, there's a lot of setup time as far as kind of putting all the sleeves together, pulling off those plastics. There's a lot of breakdown time because typically you have to unsleeve all those cards like Mystic Veil. Let me say this. I play this with a number of different player counts. BGG recommends this game best at four. I recommend this game best at two. The reason for that is as you're going through the different rounds of the game, you want to just try to keep an eye on what the numbers are going into the pile because that you're going to eventually draw again. With four, five, or any number of players, it becomes very random. You're going to get random cards into your hand, and you're not going to show what to do with them. And then you're going to add modifiers. You're going to throw them back into this gigantic pile. You really want to play with two. There's a little bit different rule changes with two players, but two players plays at the speed that a light game should play. When it plays at the larger player count it kind of bogs down a little bit as people are trying to figure out how they're going to kind of modify their cards. So Custom Heroes, I would say, is an ideal game for two players looking to play a light filler game. At the larger player count, I'm going to say it's a dodge just because the randomness, the luck factor, and the amount of time it takes to break down this game doesn't really fit in the, in the kind of filler section. So play that too. You'll enjoy it. The rest... I would say leave it aside and maybe check out Mystic Veil. Vale. All right, so that's everything that's getting to my table, at least as the card crafting's concerned. Now on to our feature review. So for our feature review this week, we want to talk about board games 
that utilize dice mechanics innovative and creative ways that are really at the heart of the game. So these are not purely dice games. These are board games that use dice. And these are our top 10. All right, so our number 10, King of Tokyo slash King of New York. Now, this is a game that utilizes the Yahtzee mechanic with big, chunky, colorful dice in order for you to slap down your, your opponent to become King of the Hill or to go for victory points and big up on, build up a nice tableau to win the game. It's fast, it's fun, it's cartoonish, and that Yahtzee mechanic is well used here. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it is it is just Yahtzee, but because it has those other mechanics, because things change a little bit, and especially if you have the power-ups uh, in those secondary expansions, there's a lot more things you can do with them. Uh, it, it definitely takes the basic idea behind Yahtzee and amps it up. Number nine. Dice City. Really interesting game that's kind of flown underneath the radar for a lot of people. But basically what you're doing is you're rolling dice to activate certain spots on your board where you can build, where you can upgrade. And once those spots have really great cards, rolling your dice again will allow you to activate those abilities on those certain locations. It really has a lot of kind of engaging dice rolling that really kind of plays in long-term with the game. So you really kind of get those numbers that you want to hit because you put your really great buildings there. So every dice roll is really a fun dice roll and you're really rooting for a particular number. It definitely does some cool things with the dice. Number eight, Roll Through the Ages. Now this is a game I think Anthony and I played a long time ago. And once again, it's another game where it's probably kind of been on the edges of board gaming. It was kind of built for, I guess, bars and pubs. You get this nice chunky wood block with these little plastic pegs and you're rolling dice to build up a civilization that's based upon the sheet of paper where you're trying to build up monuments, but you're trying to avoid devastating plagues and conflict and revolution. Nice chunky wood dice. And yet it's a civilization game and a lot of fun to play. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think in my opinion, at least, the original is still the better of the two versions of this. Yeah, I would agree. Number seven, Kingsburg and its expansion to Forge a Realm. I believe has been out of print for a while and then recently got a reprint by Asmodee. So it's got different artwork, but I like the original artwork. But nonetheless, Kingsburg and especially their its expansion to Forge a Realm allows you to roll dice to place them, kind of influence certain people on the board. So a certain character on the board might be a number 10, so you need two fives or a six and four. So you can put your dice on there. You can claim that person, claim the resources or special ability of that character, or you can split the dice up and control a lot of lower level characters to get the resources. The dice in this game is fun. It's one of the original kind of dice Euro games. And it just really engages a lot of players, and yet it's got some decent depth to it. Yeah, I was really excited when they announced the uh, the reprint, and then I saw what it looks like. <laughs> and then I went and found a copy of the original, because it looks so much better. It's so weird that these new editions don't often look much, much better, because the original edition was nice, but I, I figured that this new one was going to be, you know, amazing, but... They went in a different direction. <laughs> yeah, that's that's one way to put it. <laughs> there you go. All right. So number six, Star Wars Destiny. To be honest, I was like, eh, I kind of had seen this before. I've seen this in Quarriers and I've seen this in, 
you know, Marvel Dice Masters. I really don't want another version of this. But you know what? It's an amazing two-player game that uses a lot of cards to kind of power up your characters. And you really feel like you're creating an RPG character kind of battling it out. And not just how you roll your dice, but also how you position your dice is really important in this game. Yes, I love this game, as my wallet will attest. This is <laughs> it's Star Wars, which had me in automatically, but unfortunately, it's not just Star Wars. It's actually a very good system. So it'll be interesting to see if they use this system on another IP in the future. Yeah, it's not just an IP. It's actually a, a very, very good game. Okay, our number five game. You know what it is. It's got to be here. The Castles of Burgundy. Now, this is one of the original Feld games that everyone fell in love with. Feld is all about using dice, and to be honest, you could put on almost every Feld game here because there are so many of his games that use dice in innovative ways, but it's really got to be the original here. Rolling dice to position developments on your player board, and then the ability to activate certain things based on those dice. It just it uses dice in so many interesting, innovative ways, and I, I actually, this past Friday, Castles and Burgundy got to the table, and I was just like, here you go, and rolling more dice for a Euro game. It's always fun to see at the table. Yeah, it's one of my favorites. And this is the game, like, if people start complaining about dice in NFL games, I'm like, what about Castles of Burgundy? And most people are like, oh, yeah, that's a good yeah. point. <laughs> <laughs> you got me there. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking about dice in Euro games, our number four pick is The Voyages of Marco Polo. Now, this game is phenomenal. I really do love and enjoy this game. Basically, what you're doing is you're rolling dice in order to claim resources. Not a new kind of thought here, but in addition to doing that, there's also an opportunity to kind of like block certain players from getting certain areas if you roll the dice high enough. And you're also using the dice to move across the board. But also, you need certain numbers in order to use a resource that someone else has already used. So a lot of dice rolling here, innovative, fun, and yet the dice don't get in the way. This is a phenomenal game and probably would be a lot higher, but we have some other games that use dice in some more dynamic ways, nonetheless. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is one of my all-time favorite games, period. And the fact that it's finally back in print, one of the few good things about Asmodee buying everybody, get stuff in print. And there's an expansion coming. Very excited about that as well. But this is, yeah, the way you use the dice here. And then the way that the different player powers can manipulate how you use the dice. Sure. So it's not even just everybody doing the same thing. It's very, very good. Although there is that one player power that your dice can be anything. So the dice rolling doesn't become a thing anymore. That's true. And if you play that once <laughs> and then the next time you play, you're like, oh, it's right. I have to roll these now. Yes. <laughs> it kind of spoils you for every other game that follows. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Our number three pick is Quantum. Now, Quantum is a game that we reviewed quite a while back, but what's really interesting with this kind of 4X game is it's a space game in which not only is rolling dice something that comes into play here, but dice are actually the spaceships in the game. So depending on the number of pips that are showing on the die, that's the strength of the ship, and based on the strength of the ship, that ship has special powers and abilities that you'll be able to use in the game, and then, you know, you change the face of that die and it becomes a different type of ship. So a really, really beautiful and interesting way to use dice. Yeah, this is one that, unfortunately, I just haven't had a chance to play almost at all since we reviewed it three and a half years ago. But 
at the time I remember playing this and it was it was fantastic. It was a very unique, interesting way to do it. And uh, it's it's one of those overlooked games that when we put it on a list like this, I'm like, oh, I need to dig that out. Yeah, that's a great game. All right. So our number two pick, the Manhattan Project Energy Empire. Now, what was so innovative about using dice in this game was not only was it kind of a way in which you kind of generated energy to kind of move your Euro game engine along, but what was really, really dynamic and amazing and phenomenal was depending on the dice that you took, you were also going to generate pollution. So as if you took dice that were kind of the old industry as far as coal and oil and all that kind of stuff and nuclear, well, you're going to generate pollution based upon that. But if you got those clean energy dice, you're not going to be generating pollution. But they tend to cost a lot more. So rolling the dice getting the special abilities that we're going to do a whole number of different things in the game, but also managing the pollution of the dice was something you really didn't have to think about before. So lots and lots of fun with Energy Empire here. Yeah, I love this idea. You know, this kind of idea that goes back to the power grid originally where, yeah, the dirty, messy, basically normal ways we generate energy, they suck because they could hurt you. Yeah. The clean ones are awesome, but they're hard to get those dice. There's a limited number available in the pool, and they don't always necessarily produce as much energy as, say, something like nuclear, but nuclear can really hurt you. Sure. So it's it's kind of balancing those things out and a little bit of press your luck at the same time, which is really cool. It's interesting. The chaotic nature of our world right now makes really great board games. Yeah. <laughs> but hopefully one day it'll be like, hey, let's play a game about the energy empire. And all the dice are really good. Okay, It's kind of a boring game, but we can breathe. So trade-offs, my friend, trade-offs. Okay, so here it is, our number one board game that uses dice mechanics in the most innovative way possible. It's got to be, has to be, should definitely be, Roll for the Galaxy. Now, Anthony and I are big fans of Race for the Galaxy, which is a phenomenal card game in which you're building up civilizations, using military, settling planets, getting development, just so much greatness from a card game. And when they announced Roll for the Galaxy, it was kind of laughable. Like, come on, we already have a great game. It's got a million expansions. And you want to add dice to it? Ah, this is some kind of quick cash grab. But Roll for the Galaxy does so many wonderful things as far as being able to use the dice in different ways because the dice allow you to activate. It allows you to be able to see how many actions you'll be able to take of that type of action. It allows you to ship. And based upon the color of that shipping die, which is a little spaceship kind of thing, and based upon the resource or the product that you produce, and once again, based upon the color of the die, you'll score additional victory points. This is the kind of like cup full of dice getting more colored dice, rolling your kind of brains out, especially with its expansion, which also add black leader and orange dice, which are even more phenomenal. This is a board game that's about the dice. It's chunky. It's crunchy. It's fun. It's Roll for the Galaxy. Yeah, I can't argue with this at all. I mean, it's it somehow managed to take a game like Race for the Galaxy and make it more accessible and yet not lighter like it's it's easier to teach and it's more fun for people because it's tactile but it's not a dumber game it's not like the dice game it's not yeah. for the galaxy or race for the galaxy the dice game which is often just a lighter version of a game it's 
about the same in terms of weight, but it's just it's easier to get into. It's more fun. The rounds go quicker. Uh, yeah, it, this is a fantastic game, and um, hopefully we see more expansions for it. All right, so that's our top 10 board games that use dice mechanics in really innovative and fun ways. We highly suggest checking all of these games out. Okay, so that's everything for this week. Please keep in contact with us on all of our social media sites. The more we hear from you, the more greatness we can put into our episode. And until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll sleeve you in a seat at the table. <laughs>